Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. It's interesting when we think about love today, it's a lot of misconceptions. I want to take you back to the 1500s to Europe. There was a man by the name of Dirk, and he was arrested for his faith, sentenced to death, was brutally tortured, and he, he had a moment where he was able to escape. He was able to find a window of opportunity to get outside of this prison. They're not, they weren't as fortified as they are today. But he, he was able to slip through this, this kind of stonewalled window. And the, the prison was surrounded by, by water, so in order to get to, to land, he had to run across thin ice. And as a prisoner, he was very malnourished. And so he ran around, ran across the, the water with, with ease. But there was a prison guard that caught wind and obviously began the pursuit. And so as the prison guard began to chase him, he wasn't so thin. And he started to run across the ice and the ice began to crack. And the next thing you know, Dirk hears a scream and a cry for help. Now, in this moment, it, it's a moment of choice. It's a moment of decision. Am I going to look out for the interest and the needs of others or myself? And so, so Dirk stopped in his tracks. He saw the man struggling, and he went back, pulled him out of the ice, saved his life, only to go back to the prison to be tortured and then burned at the stake. And that's how the story ends. Merry Christmas. <laughs> but I think there, there's, there's, there's such a, a picture here, a beautiful picture of the beauty and the reality of the love of Jesus. Because there was something in this man's relationship with God that compelled him to respond in such a way where he knew as he went to save this man's life, it would be at the cost of his own. What would you do? I know what I would do. I'd be like, this is God's provision. Sorry, bro. I'm a believer. You're not. This is God's opportunity for me. God made a way where there was no way. Shouldn't have locked me up for the gospel, buddy. Right? Well, what would you have done? Surely this is God's providence. I'm the good guy. He's the bad guy. I'm a believer. He's not. What would you have done? You see, Christmas gives us a taste of the radical love of God. A love that changes the way you and I relate to everybody around us, even the most difficult people during this time. Now, I think we are a little bit confused, though. I think we are a little bit confused around this idea of love because we, we say things like, I love my wife and I love Taco Bell in the same breath. Right? A lot of times our love is expressed... By the things that we're interested in, for instance, this is a big one this season, football. Some people don't come to church, you online, because of football. But I see grown men in the morning times on my way to church. They got the flags on the truck. 
They've been up since 4 a.m. cooking meat. They're ready for that tailgate party. They get, you know, cases of beer early in the morning. And they're right, so much energy, so much life. I'm like praying today. I don't know if there's a game. I don't watch a ton of football. But if there is, maybe, Lord, let the beer explode on the way. Let there be a disaster with an awakening that I need to be at church. I'm not a hater on football. I'm just saying priorities. That's all. Let it be a miracle day, Lord. But a lot of times we, we base our love based on our desires for objects. We say things like, I love my Christmas tree, love my house, love my car. Some of us, we base our love off of the feelings of animals and nature. Like, I love my dogs. I love my cats. That's, a, that's an interesting one. I love my cats. You're, you're, you are next level people. You love cats. Shout out to Miguel if she's here. Uh, if, it's just interesting. I love the rain. I love the sun. But, but I think the reality is this. In, in the very same breast, it comes back with the same word we use to express to those who we're closest to, to those that we care about. I love you even from those same lips flows. I love you, Lord. So I, I think it's important that we get back to a biblical focus of love. We talked a few, several weeks back about a biblical definition of love. But today I want to correct back to a biblical focus. I think sometimes we need to be reminded we need to correct back too because this word love is spoken so freely. It's so familiar. It can lose its depth. It can lose the weight. It can lose its luster. And then what happens is you and I can find ourselves really living in a shallow place of the expression of love that's found in the scriptures. So I want to get back to a, a biblical focus. Now, a biblical focus is going to shake things up a little bit because a biblical focus says that love is about you a little bit. It's about me a little bit. But the focus is, is far more on others. And we're going to talk about all of this in, in just a minute. It's, it's about us a little bit, for sure. But we see a huge emphasis. The biblical focus of love, there's a huge emphasis on the idea of loving others. So I want us to journey for a little bit because I think the way we use love a lot of times is self-serving. If I like it, if it pleases me, if it feels good, I love it. And if it doesn't, I don't. Philippians chapter 2 says it this way, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so we see very clearly we have a choice to know and to meet the needs of others. We have a choice to know and we have a choice to meet. And I, I love the Christmas story because, number one, it's a true story. So if you're new to church and you're just kind of coming for the Christmas season, maybe you got invited. The Christmas story is, is, a, is a true story. And it's a great story of, a, of the demonstration of what love really is. See, a lot of times we think about Christmas, we, we have this picture. During Christmas, many times we look for the, pe the perfect setting and a peaceful time. And that's what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring peace. But the first Christmas was far from that. It was far from a perfect setting and it was far from peaceful. 
In fact, when we see even images like this, it, it paints a kind of a, a false picture of Christmas. This manger that we always look at was most likely a dirty, filthy cave surrounded by animals. And a lot of times this stuff's not even theologically correct. For example, we don't even know how many magi were there. The Bible doesn't say. Like there, I know there was three. How do you know? We don't even know if they were there at his birth. It's more likely that they came when he was around two years old. And so, so a lot of times the, the construct of Christmas that we're used to, sometimes we don't get the proper perspective because that first Christmas, love had a different tone. I think God's perspective of Christmas felt a little bit different. He was sending his son into a combat zone on mission knowing that it would cost his life, the suffering and the brutality that he would have to endure to do what? To meet our needs and interests. Matthew 21 says it this way, she will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because why? He will save his people from their sins. Jesus didn't come to teach a couple of lessons. He didn't come just to be a nice guy and make sure the wine is flowing at the parties. He came on a rescue mission to save you and I, to save people from their sin, the greatest demonstration of God's love. So what am I saying? I'm saying a lot of times we can see Christmas with gifts in mind. The Father saw it with the cross in mind. We can see Christmas with fuzzy and cozy, and I'm not a hater on that. I love it. I love fuzzy and cozy as long as we know the reality and the beauty of, uh, of the true meaning of Christmas, the reality of Christmas, because the first Christmas was dirty. It was tough, yet at the very same time, it was overwhelming and vulnerable. The greatest act of love and self-sacrifice we have seen as God himself steps out of heaven in a bodily form to suffer and die for us. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture God is painting, that, he, that Jesus would take the wrath of God that you and I deserve, our punishment upon himself so that you and I could be back into a right relationship with the Father. If you see Christmas apart from the cross, you miss it. You can't see Christmas without the cross. 1 John chapter 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Love the first part. It's kind of tough on the second part. We ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Most of us will never be asked to lay down our lives. You know that, right? Maybe in the future. Most of us will not be asked to lay down our lives physically, but you will be asked to lay down your life with hours, with minutes, with generosity, with moments. As we see the needs of others, as we see and take part in their interests, we give up a part of our life and our way to meet that need. So, so we will, we, we're called. This is what we're called to do. John 13 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, we really beat the scripture up last time, so I'm not going to do it this time, but I do want to point out this reality, is that it's not an option, it's a commandment. It's, it's not something to consider, it's a commandment. But it can be so hard to love people like this, especially tough people. It's hard to love tough people. It's tough love. 
Well, when we first came here, our second Christmas here, we came here in March of 2014, and the struggle was real. We had no salary. We had our savings and an offering that we had from the church that we were previously at. And we just knew Jesus told us to come and do this. And I'll never forget, we, we were in this house. It was, we, we loved this house. It was an old house. It was a farmhouse in Pleasanton here. And it was built in the 50s. It was one of those houses where you couldn't open the windows because they were painted shut. Like you need like a chainsaw to get in there. But, but we loved it. But, but there was a shower inside of our house, and it was a concrete shower. It was nasty. You felt like every time you get into it, you're getting into a cave. And it was cold. It was always damp. And the, the paint on the bottom would peel off. So you'd get out of the shower, and you're like peeling paint off. So I tried everything. I tried to put down outdoor paint on the inside. I tried everything. Nothing would stick. So finally, the property management said, we are going to get you guys a new shower. So we were grateful. Plastic. Yes. Put the shell in, please. And so we, we left one day. The contractor came and he was doing his, his deal. We came back to the house that night. Now, mind you, Jackie is pregnant with Hannah. I have two little kids. And I walked into our house and it was loaded with dust. So I walked in. I mean, so thick that you can write your name on every piece of furniture. Couches, kids' beds. So I, I looked at the guy. I said, "Hey, like I'm not a genius in construction. I can't build a box. But one of the things I do know is when you demo something, you kind of quarantine the area off so that you don't create a mess." And so we get to talking. I said, "Hey, man, like, did you quarantine this? Oh, no, 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 man, just going to work, just getting it done." I said, "There's dust all over my house." Yeah, you know, um, I mean, it's not a big deal. He looked at me, he said, it's just dust. How many of you guys know I want to punch that guy in the face? <laughs> it's just dust. Now, again, I'm not a genius in construction, but I do know that there's bad chemicals and substances in old concrete, bonding agents, asbestos, lead. So I went to test the dust, and it came back positive for lead and asbestos, so... That Christmas, we lost everything, all of our furniture. I mean, we were a, a year, we were just a year in to restarting this church. And I'm going in with hazmat suits, trying to like salvage all the stuff. It's just dust. And we couldn't take the chance because, you know, my, my wife was pregnant, so we didn't want to take the risk of anything. And so we let everything go. How many of you guys know some people are tough to love? And we were asked, did you sue the property management? Absolutely not. Like we're trying to serve our city. We're not trying to come to our city and the first thing we do is we sue somebody. And so I just remember that Christmas, we, my in-laws were so gracious, we got to stay there. And it was just such a difficult time because sometimes people just, why didn't you just put the thing up? I would have did it for you. People can be tough to love. That's why it's so important. First Corinthians 4, 1 says, love has to be your, high, it has to be your highest goal. It has to be your highest aim. He said, but you should also desire special abilities, especially the ability to prophesy. Shout out to prophecy. It's biblical. But, but love should be the highest goal. What if that was a reality, that we really had a biblical love as our focus? 
How does that take place? Let me give you a few thoughts today. The first thing is you have to receive God's love for yourself. Sometimes this is tougher than you loving people. It can be really hard. God is trying to love you, and you're struggling. You can't give somebody what you don't have, right? And some of us, it's so tough for us to love sacrificially because we still have not been loved sacrificially or have allowed God to love us that way. We still feel guilty. We still feel messed up. We still feel like we're struggling with our worth and our identity, even though maybe now you're in Christ. Maybe you feel like God doesn't like you. I'm still not sure about me, God. I mean, could you really? And God this whole time is trying to love you, and you're just not sure. You just don't know. You just don't think you deserve it. You can't see why. You can't see how is this even possible. So that very same year, Christmas, I get a phone call from a gentleman at our church, and he said, hey, Matt, can I take you to lunch? I said, sure, absolutely. So we went to lunch, and he said, I need an hour of your time. So I said, okay, no problem. So we, we, we drive and we pull up to the men's warehouse. Didn't look like this, the one in Stone Ridge Mall. This is a better picture, though. <laughs> and we walk into the men's warehouse, and I was curious, what are we doing here? He said, pick out three shoes, three pants, and three shirts. I was like, really? Wow, I called Jackie up. I said, man, I'm at the men's warehouse. He told me to pick out shoes, shirts, and pants. She's like, well, get it then. Right? Um, just kidding. She didn't say that. She was like, praise God. And so the next week, there's another gentleman in our church. These guys didn't even know each other. He says, I need some of your time. So I said, okay. And so we pull up, no joke, to Stone Ridge Mall, and we walk to the men's warehouse. And he says, I want you to pick out jackets, pick out three jackets. And I was like, is my wardrobe this bad? Like, God, are you telling me something? Because these guys had not talked. And I knew in that moment that God was doing something. They both told me the same thing. They said, we know you would not do this for yourself. And in that moment, I'm experiencing the love of God through his provision through his people. And can I just tell you, that did not make me arrogant or pompous. It humbled me to the dust. But it also gave me a confidence at the same time, like, God, you see me. And it produced a heart on the inside of me to what? To love and to serve others in a greater capacity. Why? Because I am experiencing the love of God in such a simple yet special way. Because what these guys didn't know is, is even nine years ago, I still had this wrestle with God where I would give you the shirt off my back, but I had a hard time receiving a shirt for myself. And I know it sounds very glorious, but in reality, it's pride. It sounds very humble, but it wasn't. Underneath is pride. Saying, God, I just, I, I can let you help me love others, but I can't receive that for myself. And sometimes we feel that way. My sin is too great. I've done too much. Your, your love isn't big enough for me, is what we're saying. The cross is not enough for me. Ooh. It, it's pride. And then sometimes it's fear. I was talking the dear friend of mine yesterday, sometimes it can be that Job syndrome where if I let you love me, something's going to go wrong. If I get too close to you, something bad's going to happen to me. 
And that's it's not the character of God. That's not who he is. John chapter 8, there's a story of a woman that's caught in the act of adultery. She's caught in the act. Oops, like you're in trouble. And so the, the religious leaders bring her out to Jesus and say, hey, the, the law says we should stone her. What do you think, buddy? And he's like, man, that's a, that's a great question. How about you or without sin cast the first stone? <clears throat> so it says that they started to throw their stones down, starting with the oldest to the youngest. And then Jesus looks at this woman and he says this. He straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and sin no more. I want you to see the order. He didn't say, hey, go and sin no more and I'll forgive you. He's like, I just saved your life. You're forgiven. Now in light of that love and grace, go and sin no more. How many of you guys know when you walk away from that place, you're like, I'll never do it again. I'm supposed to be dead and I'm alive. His love changes everything. His love will never propel you towards sin or a life of sin. It will repulse you away from it. Because there's this gratitude and there's this overwhelming sense of God's love and God's grace on our lives. When we should be dead, we're alive. There's another story found in Luke about a woman with an alabaster jar. She comes into this meal time with men and religious leaders and she comes and she starts pouring it out on Jesus, washing his feet with her hair and her tears. And, and one of the guys is just thinking, if Jesus only knew who this woman was. How about when Jesus answers your question when you're thinking it, like in the moment, because that's what he does. He's like, oh, by the way, I know what you're thinking. He's like, yeah, this woman has many sins. She's had many sins forgiven. As her great love has shown, he who's been forgiven much, experiences the love of God, loves much. He says, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven loves little. This woman experienced the love of God. Now, this alabaster jar, this perfume was probably a year's worth of wages. Some scholars believe this is not this is not the alabaster jar with Mary on the Mount of Olives. This is the second account. Many scholars believe it's the same woman found from John chapter 8. It's debatable. But nevertheless, her sins were many and they were forgiven. She experienced the love of God so personally. She knew what she had done and she is free. I want you to lean into this. How is forgiveness even necessary or amazing if we're blind to the truth and the reality of our sin. We have to understand the bad news before we can appreciate the good news. You see, let me say this again. Love does not compel you toward a life of sin. Love replaces that. A biblical love. Love is never an excuse for sin. If it's an excuse for sin, you've not encountered the love of Jesus. That's not the truth of the gospel. But I say that because truth is really important when it comes to love because love has been so distorted, so distorted. In fact, let me show you Ephesians 4, 13 and 15. It says, then we will no longer be infants talk, 
tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by everyone of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We have teaching today where there is love. It's called love, but there's no truth. That's not love. Loving somebody is really being able to lovingly engage them with the truth. You say, why are you fighting so hard for this right now? Because I think so many times we, we say we love people, but we're not honest with them. And we don't know how to be honest with them. We feel like being honest with them is not being loving, and it's not true. What if Jesus would have just left this woman to die? What if he would have just said, hey, you're forgiven. You know, you're forgiven. Now just go back to your life of adultery. No, that, that would not be love at all. You say, well, why are you pushing so hard on this? I'm hard on this because there's such a war against truth. And truth and love are not enemies. It's hard to believe that Princeton, Yale, Dartmouth, Cambridge, and Brown were all designed to train, train Christian leaders. Pretty amazing. In fact, look at Harvard's first stated pur purpose. To plainly instruct it and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. You know, there was a time at Yale, they were under their eighth president, there was not one professing Christian at Yale. Then Jonathan Edwards' grandson, Jonathan Edwards, great Bible teacher and revivalist, Jonathan Edwards' grandson became the eighth president of Yale. Three revivals took, took place. 25% of the school got saved. Half of them went on the mission field. What about the Northfield revival that came out of Princeton in 1878? Look what Princeton's pledge was. We hold ourselves willing and desirous to do the Lord's work wherever he may call us, even if it be in foreign lands. So what are you saying? I'm saying that, listen, it's so easy. I think these schools would say they're loving, but they've gotten away from truth. Truth always wants to get away. 1 John chapter 4, 19 says we love him because he first loved us. Fountain Church, we are messed up in a great way by God's love. And there's something when you encounter his love, it makes your love for others, the difficult people, it makes it a little less tough. Are you tracking with me? Second one is this, don't wait for a feeling. If love is going to be our highest goal, what do we have to do? Well, we have to first receive God's love ourselves. And part of receiving God's love is also God being truthful with us. But secondly is we can't wait for a feeling. You always hear me say choices lead, feelings follow. Can I just break your heart for a moment that outside of God, everyone and everything that you love is going to let you down at some point. I think relationships have been devoured over feelings. I just don't really feel like I want to do this anymore. I just really don't feel like I love you anymore. And then you notice how sometimes, like, man, I'm so glad we didn't do that because I, I love you again. <laughs> and then sometimes people do it and it's too late. Have you ever been in your job? I hate my job. And then all of a sudden things start going, well, you got to raise man. I love my job. It's amazing. <laughs> Feelings are just, they go by the wayside so much. 
And I, th- I just think there's moments where sometimes we're, we're so moved by our feelings. I'm so grateful that Jesus did not love us in that way. Romans chapter 5 said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning when we had nothing to offer, there was nothing that he would say, you're worth it. Like we had nothing to say, this should recommend us, God, you should really love us. No, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. I mean, that, that's, that's huge. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease, sickness, and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, let me, let me just tell you something just for a moment. I want you to see the pattern. He went, he saw, he felt. A lot of times, we want to see, feel, and then decide if we want to go. But that's not, that's not the pattern. Because if you don't go, you're not going to see. And if you don't see, you're not going to feel. Like if you're not intentionally going after letting love be your aim. And saying, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to show up to Angel Tree. I'm going to go. I'm going to see. And then I'm going to feel. Because that's what happens. You, just like Pastor Chris said, you go to City Impact, you go to Angel Tree. I had no idea the families that my daughters and I were going to deliver gifts to. We went. We saw. And when you see, you see the little kids. You hear the story. You see the family. Then you're just moved to say, what else can we do? And God begins to birth a compassion on the inside of you. Sometimes we just have our order wrong. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, then he looked at his disciples and he said, listen, the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. One of the best ways that I can pastor you is to mobilize you. To get you outside of you. And to serve in some capacity or every capacity that you step your foot in. Step two, we want to help you discover your gifts a little bit. We want you to know a little bit more about your design so that you can see that you have gifts that God has designed you to be deployed. God has designed you to go, to see, and be moved to the depths of your being with compassion. Even with the people that are tough to love. It changes everything because so many times people will come and serve here and they had a terrible week. They don't feel like showing up on a Sunday, but they show up. They see. Somebody comes up and maybe they have a conversation and they got some bad news this week. And then God uses you to pray with them and care for them. And then you leave and you're pumped. The week didn't seem so bad because you let God use you outside of you. You went, you saw, and God did something on the inside of you. If you wait for a feeling, I'm just telling you, I think sometimes we don't get a lot accomplished because we're waiting on a feeling. So then we can try and see and then decide if we want to go. 
But I think we have to change stuff up a little. God wants us to see people a little bit differently. So the feeling portion, I'm not just talking about mobilizing you at our church. The whole purpose of, of our serve team is to get you comfortable talking to strangers, sharing your faith publicly every weekend or every other weekend when you're serving so that when you get home, it doesn't feel so weird. When you go to, to work, it doesn't feel foreign. It just, oh, I always do this. I do this every other week. It just, it builds a rhythm in your life. And then you start to see opportunities differently. But it doesn't mean you always hit it. This last week, oh, I like shoot myself in the foot. We're eating at Five Guys. A homeless guy comes up and he wants some alcohol. He said, hey, can you give me some money so I can go next door and get a drink? I said, man, I'll, I don't have any cash. I'll buy you a meal here. I'll buy you a soda. No, nah, no, nah, I, don't, I don't want that. And I just let him go. I didn't do anything wrong. But I know better than that. Like that was a moment, yeah, like you're interrupting our meal. I'm not thinking that deeply about it in the moment. But that's what bothered me. I'm like, you sent this guy to my table. He had the boldness to come to the table. And I didn't make room for him. I just said, I don't have what you need. I should have did like what Peter did, right? Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. But I just missed the moment. And so even as your pastor, um, life happens and... You're in the, we're going to look at Christmas lights. Sounds so terrible, doesn't it? It it like chokes me, like breaks my heart a little bit. Because we got to see people differently. Could have just pulled them aside, had a conversation. Hey man, what's up? You want a drink? Well, let me buy you a beer and let's have a conversation. Just kidding, I would would want to buy beer. I've done it before, but then I was like, it's probably not a good idea. But the whole goal is like, Let's have a conversation. Let me hear your story. It reminded me this week of Jim Cimbala. He pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. He just got done preaching like four Easter sermons. And he comes and he sits on the edge of the platform, and there's this guy that's walking up to him at the end of service to tell he's homeless. And in Jim's mind, he's like, oh, here we go. Just got done preaching. The guy's going to hit me up for money. So he reaches in his pocket to pull out 10 bucks. And the guy comes up and he says, here you go, man. You know, happy Easter. And the guy pushes his money away. He says, Pastor Jim, I don't don't want your money. I want this Jesus that you're preaching about. And Jim was like, he said at that moment, his name is David. The gentleman's name was David. He said he smelled so bad that he had to turn his face. But then he said at that moment, it wasn't even, David wasn't even there. It was me and God. Like, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. He said, Jim, I'm going to die out here. I need this God that you're, I can't save myself. And so Jim Simbola, he he takes him and he, David, the man just falls on his chest. And he puts his arms around him. And he said, in that moment, he said that that stench supernaturally became like a sweet aroma to him. And he said, the voice of the Holy Spirit whispered until this stench becomes like a sweet aroma. You're of no use for my kingdom. 
And then you go and, you, and you're just thinking, this man has given his testimony at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. He got, Jim married him. He's, life is completely transformed. It's different when you see the face. So many times we just see people as a number or put them in a category. But his name is David. On the streets of New York, trying to figure life out, addicted, struggling. You just don't know where people are at. There was, I heard one teacher say, there was this crazy kid in my class, and I just couldn't figure out, why are you so crazy? Finally, she asked him, and he said, my dad abuses me every night. She's like, you just never know where people are. This, this Christmas, as people are riding your tail, you don't know where they're at. As they're being rude, as they're irritating and annoying, they're like that for a reason. So maybe we could see people through the lens of maybe a little more brokenness rather than a problem. It's like if I told you, if we had a quadriplegic on this platform and I said, get up and run a mile, you would be like, that is so messed up. Because you see they're broken. Something's not working properly. You would have compassion. I just, we just gotta see people a little bit differently. Like the people that everybody rejected, a, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. And look what he said. He said, if you're willing, like I know you can. I think the world is asking to today, God, are you willing? Are you with for me? And it said this, that Jesus was indignant, meaning he was so angered and so bothered and so moved. The other translation is, is compassion. There, he was so moved with compassion. The word in the Greek, it, it's a word that I can't, it's splexina. And it literally means his inward parts. Like from his heart, his lungs, his livers, his kidneys, he felt everything on the inside of him, Jesus did. And he's just like, yes, I'm willing. Like, are you kidding me? Be clean. He reached out the man he touched him. nobody would touch this guy but Jesus saw differently remember I got scammed on Craigslist this is also like our third year here $11,000 for a car I got scammed and I come from the street so I was really bothered that I got hustled my pride was blown away and I remember an older gentleman came up to me after service and he said young man he said, don't feel bad about that. That's who you used to be. You don't see people like that anymore. You believe the best in them. So don't be mad at that. God has changed you. You're not that old man. You're not looking at people through a skeptic, skeptical heart. And I was like, yes and amen. But Lord, give me discernment so I don't get scammed again. So, so what am I saying? Let me close with this. John chapter 4. I know we're in the text a lot today, but this is where the power's at. They came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Now, the backdrop is the woman Jesus meets at the well. She's thirsty spiritually. Jesus said, listen, every well that you're drinking from, he told her the truth. He's like, I know you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're living with right now, you're not married. I know there's been some struggles. You're thirsty. And he said, but if you drink the waters that I'll give, you'll never thirst again. Now, mind you, he was speaking spiritually. And the disciples at this time had gone out 
to go eat lunch. They came back, saw that he was talking to this woman, didn't even inquire. It was just like, that's weird. And they just continue with their day. Hey, you should eat something. They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have no food to eat or I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So get this picture. This woman is blown away. Jesus reads her mail. She's like, oh my goodness. He reveals to her he's the Messiah. She goes back to her town. The whole town is coming. The whole town. And the disciples are still worried about food. And Jesus is like, you guys just really don't get it. Like I have food that you know nothing about. And Jesus said to them, then his disciples said to each other, look, they just didn't miss, they missed it so much. They're like, man, could somebody else have brought him something to eat? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? You're always saying later. Always saying, yeah, it's coming. He says, man, I tell you, open your eyes and look. You gotta see differently. If you could just see what I see, it'll change how you feel. They're ripe for harvest. Ripe for harvest. Open your eyes. Will you stand to your feet? You got to re- learn to receive God's love. Maybe you're struggling today and that's been a battle for you. It's going to be so hard for you to love people. Sacrificially, when you don't see the sacrifice of how Christ has loved you, you got to see that and you got to let it penetrate your heart. That's the only way you'll turn back for somebody on the ice at your own expense. Can't wait for feelings. We have to go this Christmas, then see and allow God to move our hearts with compassion. So what does that mean? It means every time you go somewhere, whether it's to work or whether it's shopping or whether it's, like I encourage you, go shopping. Don't just do Amazon. Like get out there. Touch people. See. And be open for God to move you to reach out and touch somebody wherever you go. But how about with family? Like a great little, a great little practical point. Why don't you find out everybody's love language in the house again? You say, well, we've already done that. We're, we've been believers a long time. I've read the book. I've taught uh, several, several uh, group sessions on this. Okay, that's great. You should go do it again. Because language changes d- depending on season. Jackie and I do that every single year because as seasons get you know, a little bit more ramped up, quality time may be a little more important than acts of service. Find out the love language of everybody in your home and ask yourself, am I thinking about their interests or just mine? It starts at home. And then just let God move in your heart with compassion across the board. That everywhere you go, just ask God to open your eyes to see the harvest is ripe, but the labors are few. That today, like the harvest is is not four months, not January, it's December. The The Christmas screams the cross. People desperately need the cross. It's the best, it's the best gift. So what if we could just live more intentionally over the next few weeks? 
and be open to letting God use us. Not just stumbling into opportunity, but being intentional with it. It'll change your life. My kids at Angel Tree yesterday, they weren't super excited about driving a mountain house. But then they saw, moved. It's like, Dad, we want to do this all the time. Dad, can you believe what God did? Like, you guys grew up on the same block. Just, you just never know. Just be intentional. You don't need to wait for an event for us to do. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to touch the leper. But you got to find them. You got to be open. Make sense? So above all, your next step. Ask the Holy Spirit, what is my next step over the next three weeks? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let him tell you. And then go and see and be moved as we do, both in our home and in the world. Father, seal this word in our hearts today. Let it be so. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.